we're joined by Brad McGregor. Brad, welcome from from the Dana Farber. Um, Brad, we're gonna. Um, I'm gonna just gonna kick off. Um, if we can, you're you're presenting a study looking at ADC doublets of satituzumab, govitecan, and infortumab, vedotin. Uh, as a combination, it's an investigator-initiated trial. Congrats for that. Really hard to do. Also, phase one investigator-initiated trials, I think, are hard. We don't see that many of those. Um, and we're going to talk about the detail of the study in a second. Before we get there, we know in Fortumab, Vodotin has level 1A evidence in platinum refractory disease, 40% response rate, um, attractive single-agent activity. We have combined it with immune checkpoint inhibition. We've combined it with, uh, uh, with Pembro before. Um, but we've not combined it with another ADC before. In fact, I don't know anyone who's done ADC doublets of any description, even breast cancer. You know, TDM1's been around since 2003 or something crazy, but it's never, I've not seen the TDM1, TDXD data. So I think this is really novel. Um, Brad, I should have warned you, Tom likes to give really long introductions. I forgot. Oh, I'm only halfway through this, Brad. Had Brian not <laughs> interrupted, we could have got this finished by now. Um, and then we've got Sasatuzumab govotecan, which is an ADC. And, and I think the two drugs complement each other, but Sasatuzumab govotecan doesn't have the same level of evidence in bladder cancer at the moment. We haven't got a positive randomized phase three yet. We've got Tropics 4. And we've got response rates, I think, of probably about 25% in platinum refractory disease. Unfortunately, we have a targeting Nectin 4, Sasatuzumab um, trope 2, but also different payloads, one with a tofisomerase payload and one with MMAE. They do seem like nice partners. So the trial looks like a really good one. Brad, do you want to talk a bit about what you did and how you did it? I thought you'd never ask, Tom. I mean. <laughs> yeah, well, you stole, all, uh, you stole it all. So, yeah, I mean, as you pointed <laughs> out, I mean, I think as we think about bladder cancer, like ADCs are here to stay and EV and SG uh, both are approved in the U.S. for their for treatment resistant urethral carcinoma. As you point out, we have you know different targets, different payloads, different toxicity profiles, right? So EV neuropathy, hyperglycemia, rash, SG more myosuppression, diarrhea, and we combine chemo together all the time. And so our thought was, you know, if we can combine cytotox chemotherapy together without the antibody component, why can't we look to combine two different ADCs together? And that was sort of the foundation for this trial, which we call the DAD trial, the dual antibody drug conjugate. I don't um, love the name, bro. I don't okay. love the name. I don't, I don't love it. No, I really don't. Anybody who's a dad out there, Tom, will love the name. Yeah, I haven't managed to achieve that goal. <laughs> Sorry, Brad, go ahead. Um, so that was the that was the foundation for this trial. It's like, can we combine two ADCs together? As you point out, this hasn't been done to my knowledge hasn't been presented in any malignancy. So as we sort of developed this, um, we went to different companies and really thought, how can we build upon what we have? And so we really looked to build upon the space where EV is approved. So, you know, right now in the US, that's approved for patients who progress in both platinum and immunotherapy or progress in one line of therapy and ineligible for cisplatin. So that was sort of the foundation for who we included. And then we looked to add SG in that situation. And is, this was a dose escalation study, right? So sort of classic phase one dose escalation? Yeah, so it was um, a phase one Boyne design, right? So not the classic three plus three. Okay. Um, so we had uh, three different dose levels we start out with. 
So again, given as you know, Tom pointed out, EV has the strongest level of evidence. We sort of our dose level one was um, EV at a dose of one mg per kg with SG at a dose of six megs per kg given day one eight of a 21 day cycle. Patients then assessed and based on the born design could be escalated to dose level two, which was EV 1.25 megs per kg. I have, I have uh, EV 1.25 megs per kg with SG at eight megs per kg. And I apologize, dose level one was EV one meg per kg with SG eight megs per kg. And then dose level three was the full dose. So full dose EV 1.25 megs per kg and SG 10 megs per kg. Got it. So maybe, go ahead, Tom. So Brad, one of the things I, you know, the, I know you're gonna talk about the results in a second and the design. You're starting, they're fairly sporting doses because the majority of patients, and it's a day one, day eight, and it's a bit different because day one, day eight, day 15 for EV. You're Correct. making a lot of this up um, and you're doing the best you can, which I don't think is unreasonable. Um, but I guess one of the questions, and it's also treatment till progression, and there isn't dose reductions after a period of time. And I'm guessing, you know, after 50 weeks of therapy, this doublet's going to be pretty difficult to imagine giving the dose the same doses. So how did you account for dose reductions and delays in your phase one trial? Yeah, so you know, it's it's easy to look at now. When we designed this trial, right, we're looking at this overall, our primary objective was to see, can these be given together safely? That was our, our number one goal, and what dose can they be given safely? And so as we designed the trial, we didn't have a, have a situation where patients got, you know, the two drugs in day one, and they never got two drugs again. So we we were a little bit cautious in the design in that, you know, pa the drugs were given day one and eight of a 21-day cycle, patients had to get both drugs on day one of the cycle to continue on therapy. Day eight, either drug can be held independently as needed for toxicities, but in order to continue initially um, until an amendment that just passed about in May of this year, patients actually had to stay, get both drugs on day one. In terms of like why we chose this 21-day cycle, you know, if we look at EV103, the different combinations where EV has been studied with a lot of different drugs, in general, that that's always been a three-day cycle. Like EV Pembro is a day one, eight of a 21-day cycle. And that was the reason we went with that foundation because it sort of Three paired up fine. nicely with SG. I agree with that. And I guess my question you know, to build on that is eventually almost all patients, if you keep going at those sort of doses, are going to get peripheral neuropathy or problems. And, and most patients end up dose-reducing. So, but But actually, at the beginning of this, phase one journey it seems reasonable to give higher doses but 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 if you know people are going to get those so you know, did you have to was it only the toxicity in the first three cycles or was it toxicity in the first six months because i'm guessing you haven't yet reached your dose limiting toxicity for some of the patients who are currently on the trial right so i think as we as we designed like the design of the trial the design of the trial was to find the maximum tolerable dose using a Boeing design, looking at dose limit toxicities really during cycle one. So as we looked at this design, that's how we defined what the maximum tolerable dose was, was cycle one. So the maximum tolerable dose is based on cycle one, but to your point, that recommended phase two dose is not just based on that first cycle, it's based on the cumulative toxicities of the patient's experience over time. And so as we looked at, to think with the recommended phase two dose, we looked in aggregate as everything we saw. And so Brad, tell us, I want to talk specifics about, you know, toxicity and how you came to that recommended phase two dose, but what, I don't know if I saw in the presentation, 
the median number of cycles or the median follow-up just to get an idea of how, how mature the tox data is, so to speak. Yeah, so I mean, in terms of we where we are at right now, um, you know, I will I want to point out like who was enrolled on this study. So the patients that were enrolled on this study were really these were not um, super young fit patients. Um, the median age on the trial was seventy, um, ranged anywhere from forty one up to eighty eight. I had an eighty eight year old there. Our first patient was eighty two years old who went on this um, trial. So it these were been not the granddad study. Exactly. <laughs> That's, That's hilarious, Brian. You that, the yeah, I, did, I saw that, Brian. I thought that was genius. I thought it was genius. Um, and, and I think the other thing is, while we had some eligibility criteria, you know, you could have to have one line of therapy and progress. You know, of the 23 patients who went on and received therapy and trial, um, all but one had received both platinum and immunotherapy prior to enrolling. So these were, these were you know, the patients we think about in the clinic who have progressed on multiple lines of uh, therapy. But largely third or fourth line, it looks like. Correct, correct, yeah. yes. Correct. Okay, Brian, you've got 23 patients. What toxicity did you see? Yeah, so, I mean, and we have a median follow-up of, of around 15 months at this point in time. <laughs> and what was really remarkable is there really didn't seem to be any new toxicity signals. Um, when we looked at the combinations together compared to what we saw with either drug alone. So the most common um, toxicity overall was diarrhea happening in, in you know, over half the patients, um, followed by um, anemia, neutropenia, fatigue, and then neuropathy. So really what you would sort of think about for SG, diarrhea, myosuppression, and then with ED, the um, neuropathy were the major issues. And, talk and about I will us, say that, that neuropathy was the, the toxicity that led to, you know, concerns with the patients down on long term as we moved to the longer follow up. I'm going to count. Yes. You go, you Brian, have, I'm sorry. I was, was going to ask about the cytopenia. You had a slide about growth factor support, which looked like it was most patients. Is that was that built into the trial from day one or how was that handled? So, yeah, it wasn't actually. So, you know, as we designed the trial, we were, we were trying to figure out what what should we think about, you know, SG, when we give that at the 10 mg per k day one eight of 20 days, if you look at like NCCN or Islands, most patients with urotherapy cancer getting SG would sort of qualify for that growth factor support. We were very of doing that upfront. So when we initially designed the trial, um, no prophylactic nulasta with cycle one was not allowed. Um, when we enrolled the first six patients, the only dose limit toxicity we saw, and this is dose level one, this is one mg per keg of EV with eight mg per keg of SG. The only DLT we saw in two patients was neutropenic fever. And so as we looked at that, we're like, well, listen, these are both patients were over 80. We're like we would probably give these patients GCSF support in the clinic outside of trial. And so we amended the protocol to allow prophylactic um, GCSF at investigator discretion. And when we did that, um, as as you point out, a majority of patients ended up getting um, GCSF support. And I assume that that abrogated the cytopenia issue largely or? It did actually, yeah. So without a doubt, with like, yeah. you know, of those first six patients, we had two um, patients with neutropenic fever. You know, as we move uh, move forward, um, all but like one patient um, received prophylactic um, 
GCSF support. And the only other neutropenia variable we saw during cycle one was a patient who got treated at full dose or 10 mgs per kg of SG with 1.25 mgs per kg of EV. So Brad, nothing crazy, no transaminitis, no eye toxicity, no um, yeah. huge hyperglycemia, nothing really out of the blue, renal function straight through, Correct. very much on piste. SG is associated with GCSF as well. We're using that regularly. So you've actually got through with some of the caveats that we pointed out with the phase one, you know, that first cycle is probably not enough to assess toxicity properly and all the other bits and pieces. You've actually combined two drugs together that seem quite, quite good partners. Describe what you showed from an efficacy perspective. Yes, and I will, I do, I do want to make the one, go back to toxicity, one more point. I mean, we did have one um, death on trial um, due to not disease progression, uh, due to pneumonitis during, the patient got the full dose in the secondary weeks after cycle one. That was in a situation, um, prior amyloidone use, um, an ongoing infection, and so it is not felt to be related to SG, potentially related to um, EV. Um, so I do want to make Brad, that caveat. Brad, in drugs like TDXD, uh, interstitial lymphangitis is a very, very prominent ad adverse event. In fact, you know, it, we end, ended up with some of those with, with, with TDXD being a big issue and there was education and training specific around it. And, you know, when the breast cancer docs present this, this seems to be really prominent. And as you said, is this the one adverse event that you don't know enough about yet to be confident? Yeah, I mean, that's the one adverse event, obviously, as you point out, like that's one of the toxicities we think about with ADCs, TDXD is the pneumonitis. Um, when we sort of like dived into this in detail, um, this was a patient who a lot of his care happened outside of our institution, but talking, going through the records, it really, um, you know, does not seem to be, there seems to be a lot of confounding factors that are at play and no other patient had any evidence of pneumonitis um, for the duration of follow-up. We're pitching to fall off the edge of our seats with excitement now on the efficacy signal, Brad. Yeah, so we enrolled 23 patients. Um, and what we saw, I think, you know, there's the waterfall plot trust speaks for itself. 20 of 23 patients had any degree of shrinkage in their target lesions. Um, and that corresponds to an objective response rate of 70% across the patients treated at all, all dose levels. And we actually had three complete responses um, and only three patients experienced progressive disease as best response. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like almost more than the single agents, right? Of course, small numbers, all the caveats, this is a pretty darn refractory population where you had some some toxicity issues, not surprisingly, right? Again, based on the patient Correct. population, if nothing else. So um, I don't know, Brad, that, that seems so, like more than additive to me. So Brad, my take on this is that um, outcome for bladder cancer patients follows a U-shaped curve. In the, you know, frontline therapy, about 12 months, second line therapy, eight months, and third line therapy, probably about eight months, and fourth line therapy, back to 12 months, and fifth line therapy, 25 months. You know, you've got a group of professional patients coming for Dana Farber who are flying around America who have had treatment before. They've got lymph node only disease. How many patients do you think you know, are representative of that patient who pitched up to, you know, clinic in southern Los Angeles having general oncology? Or is this a professional group of patients flying around North America looking for the latest treatment? You know, a lot of these patients are actually local. Um, we had a couple of patients that flew 
they heard about the study and wanted to come for the study. But, you know, 26% of the patients had bone mets. 26% of these patients had liver mets. So these were not, a majority of these were not lymph node. Um, but 74 did patients. have lymph node disease. So lymph node 74 did have lymph node disease, disease, right. But that's yeah. not lymph node only disease. Um, okay. That is, they had lymph nodes in addition to other things. So, okay. And so, yeah. It didn't look like you saw efficacy differences based on dose. And of course, these are tiny numbers, but there wasn't a big signal about increasing efficacy with increasing dose. Is that right? Correct. So when we look at overall, we saw responses, you know, in the lowest dose, dose level two and dose level three. And to, you know, Tom's point earlier, you know, while we, you know, we gave both drugs day one of each cycle, both drugs could be adjusted independently. So if a patient had neuropathy, EV could be lowered independently of SG. Um, if a patient had diarrhea, SG could be lowered independently of EV. So there were, each drug was adjusted based on the symptoms and the investigator assessment of what toxicity they had. And it looks like about half the responses are ongoing. Is that? Yeah. So I think what's really, really remarkable. So we have a medium follow-up of um, 15 months at this point in time. Um, and so a, a over a lot of the responses are ongoing, and a lot of responses are ongoing in the setting of treatment discontinuation. You know, the first patient enrolled on the trial, um, she oh, did have only like sort of lymph node disease. She got about 10 months of therapy, ended up stopping for um, neuropathy. She's actually been off therapy a year and a half without anything coming back. Another patient was 65, extensive liver mets, and he stopped therapy for just neuropathy and the eye tearing. Um, he's been off therapy for well over a year and on serial scans, the liver lesions continue to shrink. Um, I had another patient who was refractory to both platinum and immunotherapy. We, we progressed the disease as best response and he went on this therapy and he now has a CR um, and he is doing incredibly well. Um, so I think for some of these patients, these responses can be quite amazing and quite, um, Hopefully, we hope quite durable as well. Yeah. So, Brad, small numbers, but a slightly unorthodox phase one, quite a lot of noise around the phase one with interruptions and reductions, not a lot of clarity about real toxicity in the long term. But you've developed a regime where, you know, you've got a, a, you've got an activity and you've got a dose that you like that you can start with safely in the knowledge that patients can, doctors and patients together can adjust the dose as you would expect. Which adjustment do you think you would make first, or does that depend on the non-overlapping toxicity? So as you go through and we like see each patient, the adjustment of the drug really depends upon the toxicity. Um, so we okay. gave some pretty good adjustments for like the the hematological toxicities or whatever, but beyond that, I think it's there. In term, I mean, in terms of where we're at, the actual the maximum tolerated dose per the Boeing design was full dose EVSG, so 10 mg per keg with 1.25 mg per keg of um, EV. But we had three um, DLTs out of five evaluable patients. Um, and the reason that's a maximum tolerated dose is because at the lower dose, dose level two, we had only one DLT. Um, and that was actually a delay in treatment of cycle one, which actually ended up being due to hemorrhoid-related colitis um, from his prior um, therapy. Um, so there was really but, but, this but I, dramatic drop-off. But I guess that, but my experience with EV and with SG is the toxicity is cumulative and, the, and, and, and you're never going to get, you might be able to get the first cycle in, but there's no way you're going to get the third cycle in at those doses. What do you think of that statement? So, I mean, I think if we, if we look at this um, over 
all. I agree that you're going to start at one dose and have to quickly reduce. And to that point, while the macrotolerance was full dose, nearly all the patients had reduced the dose by cycle two or cycle three. Um, so that's part of the reason while the full dose and max tolerance dose, we don't feel that's a really a recommended dose going forward. I think if we look at um, dose level two, you know, in my experience and the trial with pan out, you know, majority of patients are able to get several cycles on um, that. So of eight patients, two required a dose reduction of EV or SG, um, and no one required further dose reduction of SG down to five. So level two is eight, which is a slightly lower dose, with 20% reduction of SG and full dose EV at 1.25. Yeah. So EV, and EV could be allowed to go down to 0.75 mg per kg um, day one and eight. So I, I do think at your point, you know, EV, it, there's a cumulative effect, right? And so it is tough to give. I find in, in the clinic experience, you know, a lot of patients who end up discontinuing therapy was often for the cumulative EV toxicities overall. And to that point, like, is can we look at a, a set finite time of using these drugs and what is that optimal time? And so I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. There's probably a lot to be worked out in what you just talked about, like how long and dose adjustments and skipping a dose. I mean, those are all sort of like normal things we deal with in practice, right? With individual drugs, right. let alone the combination. So what's next? I mean, there's a there's a recommended dose. There's clearly some activity. There's no crazy tox signal. Is it a expansion? Is it where are you going next? Yeah, so we have we have a, a lot of hopes for the future. I mean, this is the first trial that showed that ADCs can be given safely in combination with no new safety signals compared to monotherapy. Um, and so we're really excited about that. And so we have engaged with um, sponsor and we're gonna do an expansion of the current DAD patients. So in the in the sort of where EV is approved in the treatment resistant setting, um, looking to study the combination of SG and EV. And at the same time, um, given the really exciting data um, for EV Pembro, um, we're like looking to build upon that as well. And so um, looking to do a sort of similar phase one expansion, combining EV and SGDL2 with Pembro, also known as the DAD-IO or DADIO trial. Oh my goodness. There's I mean, no that's, reward well, that's, for the that's best dreadful. name. That's dreadful. Yeah, you, well, you get an invite to our ASCO party for that, the best name. Trials. Is there a song around Daddy-O? Is that oh, right? Don't you know? Songs I think there is a song. I'm, Release I'm very un the pod it's unlikely to oh. get to ethics. Initially, it was going to be the it was going to be the P Daddy, so a Pembro Dad file. <laughs> um, um, so I guess we can call it the Daddy-O, formerly known as P Daddy. I think there's totally a lot of options there. Better. So are these going to be ex an extension of the current study? Basically, yes, this two, would be an extension of the current study. Two expansion cohorts, um, not randomized or anything, just... Not be randomized, and we're going to um, open this up to make it a multi-center um, trial. Uh, Brad, really we, we, is it time to do a randomized phase three with a doublet? Um, and if it is, what is the trial designed to that? <laughs> I think that is that is the, that is the key question, right? Like, this data looks really great. Bladder cancer, the, the field is changing so quickly. You know, if EV Pembro becomes the backbone of frontline therapy, do we look at you know, EV, Pembro, and SG versus EV, Pembro. Obviously, we need to see how that triplet plays well um, yeah. with each other. I think I that mean, would be sort right. of a logical step. You just make your expansions a small randomized phase two, right? That might get you to Tom's desired phase three quicker. Right. Uh, Brad, my last question. Why didn't you combine with platinum? Why didn't you just do SG or EV with platinum? Why did you have to do the DADC together? 
you know, I think that, you know, it's cool. You know, patient, patients are wanting to get something like this. I think, you know, looking to combine uh, EV with platinum, you know, if you're going to find with it's cisplatinic, the, the frontline feel has changed so much, the neuropathy with those, um, you know, it's carboplatin really what you want to pair with. Carboplatin has a lot of myelosuppression. Is that going to pair well with SG? And so, again, I think the, the, the real thing was that EV and SG just stay they're so different in terms of toxicities. They play well together. I don't. This um, has been terrific. Yeah, congrats on doing the study on a, a presentation at Esmo. I was hoping there'd be some screaming kids in the background for a dad study, but we <laughs> don't have to pipe those. I was in. able to run away and keep them. Keep them <laughs> um, awesome. Congrats again. We'll look look forward to more data. Thanks for joining. Hey Brad, thanks a lot. Thank you.